0: Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. I'm Fiona Sutherland, dietitian from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I interview dietitians from all over the world who are experts in health at every size, the non-diet approach and mindfulness-based practice. These are a collection of interviews by a dietitian for dietitians and nutritionists, so that we can build a strong community of wonderful professionals who share an inclusive vision of well-being for everybody in everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi everyone and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I really appreciate you being here with me today. So my latest guest is Casey Conroy, who is from Funky Forest Wellbeing in Queensland. Casey is a fierce, feisty and wonderfully warm colleague of ours from the non-diet and health at every size space and somebody who I first met about 10 years ago when we both attended um, a workshop with Linda Bacon. So at the time, Casey was a young new grad and I'm sure she would self-confess to being pretty green in this space. But you know what, I could already tell at that point in time that there was something really, just something kind of special about Casey. Um, her personality is such a, a, a can-do one in the most genuine of ways. There's nothing fake about Casey at all. She's well known for calling out the BS in the mama, yoga and quote-unquote wellness spaces. And a couple of her, her blogs have really gone gangbusters. My personal favourite is called the Sexy Successful Spiritual Woman, the SSSW. And uh, we will we'll be got diving down into this in our discussion so I would be interested to hear what you think about this because Casey well let's just put it this way she 's got some thoughts um, now Casey has been uh, in a little hiatus looking after little people and so she shares with us here very generously about some of her challenges and the dilemmas and the complexities of working through parenthood as a dietitian particularly in the health at every size space when you're also juggling parenthood and I'm sure many of you will relate to what she shares here. So for those of you who are new to The Mindful Dietitian, our main website is themindfuldietitian.com.au where you'll find training and events all updated really regularly, uh, a long list of resources which you can download including um, some information about professional supervision. There are all previous podcast episodes there and you can also sign up to the newsletter which, uh, look, I'm going to be honest, it goes out every three weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. It's kind of when I can and I'm... I'm aiming to be really compassionate about that. I would love to be one of those people that's like, right, newsletter goes out every two weeks. This is what I'm going to do. And the truth is I've tried a number of different methods and the kind of flexible method is working for me at the moment. So I really appreciate your, your patience and, um, and understanding around that. You're very welcome to contact me. I'm Fiona at bodypositiveaustralia.com.au. And as always, I really look forward to staying connected with you. Thanks for being here and the for Dietitian
1: podcast. Hey Casey, how awesome to chat with you today. Hey B, I'm just as excited to be here as you are.
0: (laughs) So you have been a uh, busy bee over the past, well more so probably over the past six months, but um, a little bit longer than that. So why don't you fill us in with what you have been up to?
1: Sure. So I had my second baby in January this year. And yeah, as you can imagine, things have been pretty busy, but also um, busy, but not busy. So busy in the sense I'm looking after kids. I've got a little um, boy, a toddler as well, but busy, not busy in that I haven't been working. So that's been really interesting.
0: (laughs) How's that transition been for you? Because I know you—you um, know—you were very involved um, in the non-diet community prior to having your now toddler, um, and then you re-immersed yourself in between bubbers. Uh, so, so how has that kind of tr- what's your experience of kind of transitioning in and out of 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 your career been like?
1: Yeah, it's been interesting in that um, you know being a mom and going through pregnancy and having babies I guess it's given me first-hand experience of what it's like to be on the receiving end of body comments you know as a pregnant woman and that was really interesting and um, hopefully now I've got a little bit more personal experience from which I can um, you know pull resources and help other women who are on that same kind of path with Um, but yeah Yeah, as you've said, I've ducked, I've ducked in and out, kind of gone into the bubble, come out two-thirds of the way gone back in and now I'm on my way back out again and I'm pretty sure I won't be going back in for a third time. <laughs> yeah. Shop is totally. shut. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We shall see maybe. We, we shall. Never say never I suppose. Never yeah. say. Never. Yeah
0: exactly. So um, I've noticed um, since you've been in Mummerland Land that you've done some really beautiful work in in providing resources and writing and support um for in kind of the pre and postnatal area so um it's been such a you've offered such beautiful gifts to other women in helping helping us kind of navigate these early years and you've done so with with such wisdom, but also a beautiful sense of humor. That's what, that's one of the many things that I love about you, Casey, is you just got this beautiful lightness about you and this ferocity. You think, Oh, Casey's so lovely. And then it's like, man, (laughs) is she fierce as
1: well. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) what, Oh, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, my husband would say the same thing. <laughs> would he? Yeah. That's a no. That's a good thing. Oh, well, consistency. That's a good thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, what is it that you've noticed about um, women's experiences, especially in the early years, which has kind of draw- brought you to the keyboard and and um, and kind of uh, you know um, encouraged you to develop some resources and support?
1: Yeah. So, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is exhaustion. <laughs> as beautiful and as rich and fulfilling as the experience of motherhood is, as you would well know, there's definitely exhaustion and all these feelings that come up, right? When you're pregnant and then when the baby's here and because of the way our society is set up, we, we don't perhaps have the support that um, people in other times have had. And so th- there's these feelings of inadequacy that for me at least came up big time, um, feeling disempowered, uh, you know, I've chosen I've to breastfeed and I'm looking after the other. day And at the same time it means I, I am not working or I'm not able to work as much and I'm feeling stuck and you know, those kind of feelings, definitely feeling exhausted, overwhelmed at times, um, and I think all of this is amplified around that. Uh, you know, living in, let's just be frank, a patriarchal society where we, we're we constantly striving. We're striving for um, autonomy and for our voices to be heard and financial freedom and more time to relax. And being a new mum just makes all that stuff seem even harder (laughs) to get close to, if you know what I mean. Um, So what was your original question? I hope I haven't gone on a
0: tangent already. No, goodness, no, not at all. No, I I was just asking about, you know, how your own personal experience is really, um, it seems to have inspired you to write, you know, Mm. in a really, really heartfelt way. I can, you know, in your writing, it feels like you are really reflecting on your own experience in a very vulnerable way, which then encourages other women to really embrace that within themselves. And I, I don't see that commonly, to be honest, it's, um, you know, there's this there's this picture of the the ideal way to be a mother, mm-hmm. and the Absolutely. ideal way to balance, you know, work and and life and being a mm-hmm. a good lover and blah 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 blah. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh my god, I'm just too
1: fucking tired <laughs> to do any of that stuff. So, um, yes. yes, that hasn't been my experience at all. And <clears throat> um, yeah, it, thank you for for just normalizing that a bit just even for myself here just feeling like if I'm experiencing this maybe just maybe other women are also feeling this way and coupled with the fact that my in general my bullshit tolerance is down um simply because I'm more sleep deprived. <laughs> Maybe that little combination has has been um, what's behind my writing in the cu- last couple of years.
0: <laughs> yeah. I really love, um, I actually love a whole bunch of the pieces that you've written, but I wanted to, I really wanted to draw people's attention to one of your latest pieces of writing, which was about Um, which was about being an earth mama and your kind of reflections on whether that was something even real or um, something to strive for or you know I'd be curious just to hear a little bit about what led you to write that piece and then a little bit of the content of that would be great
1: yeah sure so the the idea of being an earth mother that's not my idea that comes from um an amazing author and she's an obstetrician and gynaecologist called dr christian northrup and she came up with the concept of uh this continuum of, of motherhood on one end of the scale there's this archetype of the earth mother so you know typically that that's the kind of mother who is the classic nurturer you know um having babies and baking biscuits and organizing birthday parties and all that kind of stuff like really fills her up um she's you know her primary focus is her kids and generally she doesn't feel the need for a career or other interests and i'm talking this is like one extreme end on the scale the other end is this archetype that Christian Northrup refers to as the creative rainbow mother. So these are women who, you know, they they still love their kids and all that kind of thing. Um, They also need... To, in order to, you know, stay emotionally balanced and even physically healthy, they need to nurture their creative babies, whether that's life project or a career or whatever, you know, business that they're starting up. They need to nurture those, you know, in the same way or, I don't know, slightly different ways, but similar to the way that they nurture their biological children. And that if they don't do that, um, they will not feel fulfilled uh, so that's where the basic idea for that blog came from and I guess I was just talking about my decision to go back to work which I've done just in the last week or two Um, my decision to go back to work and battling with that decision um, you know feeling the usual guilt and not being sure and oh am I going to be giving up some of these precious moments. I'm going to miss time with my baby and miss them first and, you know, all the usual mum guilt kind of shit. Um, And just coming to peace with deciding that I was going to come back to work part-time now and that it was okay. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that it was okay. But it, it just took a bit of processing for me to get to that place. And um. I'm glad that I'm here now. Of course, I still oscillate a little bit. I still get pains of mum guilt, but I can tell you what, I'm much, much more content and, you know, excited to be getting back into work I've got to say.
0: (laughs) Yeah and it also um, certainly my personal experience has been is that it enhances my ability to be present to my children when I'm around and they see me being a happier person.
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh totally Fee that's the thing I was noticing I was starting to get really grouchy really you know at times almost resentful Mm. um and that's not good so you're absolutely right it has made me a better mother when I do go back to those kids I'm just filled up and then I want to do fun stuff with them and I have energy to chase them around and do all the cookie baking and birthday party organizing because I have filled myself up um you know with my passion so you're totally onto it
0: yeah. And I think that, you know, for, for, um, our colleagues that are, that are listening, you know, I think it's probably going to be quite familiar to, to lots of us who have been mm-hmm. in that kind of stage of life, um, or, yeah. or for whom those, that stage of life is still coming. And just to, you know, reassure everybody out there that, you know, there are communities of women, of parents, um, of people of all genders who, um, who really get it that we get that it's um you know that we are part of this um patriarchal structure which kind of puts uh, puts women in certain positions and then when we try to find some spaciousness in those in that in those positions there's always the guilt and the shame involved in you know trying to find some space for ourselves and we just really want to let everyone know that it's Bunch of shit for a start. (laughs) Um, And that it is certainly possible to be a really fulfilled person Um, and that you can be, what is it, a creative rainbow parent
1: maybe. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yes, yes. Oh, good old patriarchy, hey? It sticks its fingers into... Any and every little jam jar it can access. <laughs>
0: oh, no. Oh, my goodness. It's just <sighs> hell on wheels some days.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so with, with,
0: with that in mind, um, mm. ah, my next favorite piece that you wrote, <laughs> which is actually, it's a really interesting case because this was republished. Um, mm-hmm. So this is your sexiest, successful, spiritual woman. Mm-hmm. article, which I adored. I adored it the first time and I adored it when it it came up again recently and I was like, oh, hello. Um, so I will put a, a copy of this article in the notes associated with um, this particular episode. Um, but tell us a little bit about what the Sexy Successful Spiritual Woman Is and How It Hurts All of Us.
1: Mm, okay, gosh, where to begin? So I wrote that article because I was really pissed off that day. <laughs> and I was pissed off because I was just so sick and tired of seeing business women, specifically business women, in in the health, the wellness, fitness and yoga field. Mm-hmm um basically leveraging privilege to sell their stuff to women um stuff that they were marketing or are marketing as empowering so there was that piece that I was annoyed at but then um also seeing these business women failing to acknowledge their privilege um or you know briefly acknowledging it but then continuing to leverage it and to sell their stuff um And also failing to recognize that by leveraging privilege and playing on the insecurities of women, which I'll go into in a sec, that that, that's actually really disempowering. Um, So that's the brief outline. Um, The sexy, successful spiritual woman ideal. I I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Like for, for years, There's been this, this phenomena has bothered me where in, you know, and being a health professional and now a yoga teacher yourself, you will probably know exactly what I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. but um, it wasn't until I read a piece by an author called uh, an author named Kelly deals about, um, Oh, what's it called? The female lifestyle empowerment brand. Mm -hmm. Um, Yep that i do you know kelly deals have you read? yeah yeah i know
0: of her work that that was that's one of her most formative kind of pieces which um yes i can i can link that as well so that people can see how one
1: kind of um
0: how one led to the other it's great
1: yes please do um it was only once i read that piece of work that i finally recognized that phenomenon for what it was because personally i've never felt comfortable marketing my you know services as a non-diet dietitian as a yoga teacher using this particular formula this particular ideal that kelly deal describes beautifully um and so you know just to describe it in really succinct way, the female lifestyle empowerment brand, when she's talking about that, she's talking about um, with the female bit sticking to a certain version of femininity. That's really mandatory. um, And that, you know, generally there's a very narrow range of people who can fit into that and use that as a lever for power. So what happens is that, um, it excludes a lot of people from that. So, you know, people in fat bodies, disabled people, women of color, um, older people. So that's the feminine part the lifestyle is that, um, you know, business women who are using this kind of um, marketing technique sort of pretend to be doing it in the guise of building relationships with people. <clears throat> so, you know, if we think about social media feeds or Instagram, that, a sign of that someone might be using these tactics is that they they show people lots of little snippets from their lives, but generally they 're very idealized they 're very um perfected, so you know my beautiful children in a meadow here, me in front of my mansion there on holiday in bali in my design um,
0: <laughs> so fun <laughs> um, and
1: you know kind of pretending to build this um feeling of hey you know me really really well and i'm bearing all but rather than building relationships it's just marketing privilege it's just showing you know <clears throat> that these people are in a position of wealth of white privilege that they're just kind of saying, you know, look at my life, look at all the things I have. Um, I can give this to you if you just buy my shit, basically. <laughs> you can buy, um, my shit. you
0: can have my mansion if you buy yeah, my shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is really misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of some of it. But what I what I realized reading that is is going, oh shit, you know, what I see, you know, in my little. Department in my field of health and yoga and fitness is all of these inner goddess path to success workshops. Um, you know, expensive juice cleansers and detox retreats and body beautifying yoga challenges and finding your, you know, really hyper feminine sexuality weekends. Um, and it's all accompanied by that really polished, hyper curated feed with women looking effortlessly glamorous or usually an exotic location all that grassy meadow. Um, and it's all kind of promising to teach you how to be this certain version of female, you know, this, this correct version of female. And that's the sexy, um, slim, usually always slim, successful and of course spiritual. Uh, woman ideal so that's where you know it's like a little branch of what Kelly was talking about and the point of difference I think is is in the spiritual kind of thing because spirituality has been really co-opted in in western culture but for some reason (laughs) as you know being yoga teachers we probably see quite a bit of that but for some reason, if someone has you know the usual photos in their feed of you know their perfect meal and their advanced yoga pose, if there are some um, really seemingly deep philosophical quotes thrown in here and there it it kind of plays on that um, building or positioning oneself as a sense of authority in that a spiritual aspect as well as all the other shit, as well as also being glamorous and beautiful and successful and having a six or seven figure income. Um, and it all feeds off. My main problem with it all is that it feeds off this, it feeds off, you know, our sense of not being good enough. Yes. And there's, there's just yes. There's no room. There's no room for social justice. There's no room for equality and there's no room for imperfection. These women are leveraging privilege, and it sucks.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. It's like I'll just add a roomy quote to my <laughs> yeah. to my wooden floor, white yeah. background, perfect Lululemon or insert um, yeah. you know expensive yoga gear on mm-hmm. perfect purple lotus flower mat. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. my hundred dollar yoga mat. Um, yeah. Which is just exclud- excludes so so many people. I would say it excludes the majority of women. Uh-huh. Um, oh, and gotcha. The majority of women who, you know, tying back into that that piece I wrote on you know Earth mums and rainbow mums. Just, I'm guessing that those feelings that I experienced and still experience sometimes of um, feeling overwhelmed and really tired and inadequate that is not just my experience. That's possibly a universal thing. And the dangerous thing about that sexy, spiritual um, successful woman ideal is that it plays on those insecurities of, and those feelings of inadequacy. And those are really heightened. I I have found around um, in our mothering years for a number of reasons. Mm. So yeah, I just, I just think it's predatory. I don't think it's, um, ethical, and I think that there's got to be a better way.
0: Mm. There's
1: got to be a better way. And if I think about our our fields, you know, nutrition and health and yoga, to be totally fair, I probably see this happening a little bit more um, in the yoga and fitness kind of fields, but it definitely happens in um, you know, with health professionals and nutritionists and naturopaths and all that kind of stuff too.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, um, oh, I, I think it's, um, I think it's very, very fair, um, -hmm. to say that it, that it happens a fair bit amongst dietitians and and health Mm -hmm. professionals.
1: Um,
0: you know, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts as to, how you think that we kind of get drawn into marketing ourselves in this way mm-hmm. um that that's kind of the first bit mm-hmm. and then we might loop back to talk a little bit about um some of the some of the first kind of quick defenses that come mm-hmm. up uh mm-hmm. you know for example the yeah but that that's not my intention or mm-hmm. um oh, i didn't mean it like that or oh, i'm an I know that we don't actually say this, but what we're kind of meaning to say is I'm a really nice person. Don't criticize me. I I mean well
1: and I'm kind. Mm. Yes. 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 Gosh, there's a lot there. So let's start with the the last thing you said. Yeah. I think it's for the most part, it is totally unintentional, you know, people doing this and I've tried it on. i done i've bought into this um way of marketing in the past when i've thought that it was the only way to market we we do you know we we are coming from a good place for for the most part we're not trying to further stigmatize and traumatize and oppress people um and yeah i'll come back to that because i want to talk about what you mentioned first which was how was it how we as dietitians Find ourselves in uh, the middle of this, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. yeah. So it's really, it's it's almost like a. It just it almost happens by default. I think is what I'm trying to say because, we we are living in this world where health is a thing. Maybe we should start there. And as dietitians, we are placed kind of right smack bang in the middle of that melee um and continuing i guess just riding that wave continuing to whether we are doing it to perpetual um this for what it is is kind of easier um i can i definitely appreciate why you know choosing whether to reveal all this shit for what it is and to actually or to perpetuate it definitely why that choice is not a really easy one for everyone because if we just go along with it and perpetuate it we we probably will continue profiting off the back of this giant well-established well-oiled machine that is diet culture right it's Mm -hmm whereas taking the road uh, basically that's the haze road where we the ethical ways to work in this field we, we don't um resort to fear mongering um there is no advice we don't resort to health dogma um you know we have to it's 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 a harder path. I think it is a harder path because we're having to discover and carve out paths that actually, um, help people improve their health without, without, um, capitalizing on their insecurities. So we're, you know, furthering social justice instead of further, um, marginalizing people Mm. and, it's, it's just a harder path. Like I don't necessarily think that we're taking a pay cut by doing that. Um, but I think we will probably be working harder than if we just sold juice cleansers online. Oh yeah. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, for sure. I think, I think really kind of what you're,
0: what you're saying there is that, um, you know, when we are brave enough to kind of step up to, um, you know, as you say, the healthist dogma and, um, and all the strongly rooted cultural factors, which are so enticing for us, that um, we, all, we have to do our own unlearning, really, in a way. We kind of have to, first of all, have the... Um, courage to press pause and not kind of keep going. And then in a way we have to then be willing to kind of do the reverse button in a way to kind of go back into, you know, how did I come to learn this X, Y, Z? How did I come to believe this? How did I come to have this particular attitude? And to have almost the maturity of mind um, and the, yeah, maturity or wisdom or something like that and the willingness to um to unlearn and kind of rewind and then go down into the depths of ourselves as humans and, and those depths can get kind of murky and of yeah. course when things get murky what do we want to do we just want to get out of there as quickly
1: as possible because it's really
0: uncomfortable yeah. and you know yeah. you, you and I have been there we have been there and I mean i I would be curious to hear about your kind of words of reassurance, but I just want to offer people if you are wanting to kind of dive down a little bit more or you're actually in those murky depths thinking what the hell, I can't see anything. I'm feeling all alone to just, you know, really gently remind yourself that there actually is a whole bunch of people down there with you and that actually, you know, I've had 15 years of experience behind me. I am still there. I am still finding myself in the murky depths of um diet, culture, um bullshittery. Like it's just <laughs> we can't help but go you know, we can't help but keep going to the depths of those shadow parts. Mm-hmm. Um and if we bring our torches and we bring our candles and we bring our friends along, then it it means that we can then you know, explore those parts of us and explore those parts of culture which really enrich our whole experience. That was a long speech.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I loved it. Just poking <laughs> those words up, yeah, yeah, beautiful imagery. I love that image of having to go down into the cave and bring our torture, then be brave because it is scary. It is human nature to just um you know stick to what is known and comfortable and Um, lit up with torches already (laughs) Mm. it's easier to do that than to have to go deep down and to to unlearn as you said and to really ask ourselves what are our values when it comes to health or just in general what are our values and and how much have I bought into this other set of values that isn't even mine um how much have I have I bought into diet culture and And um, all the shit that comes with that Uh (laughs) uh so for for example and what I see a lot in maybe in our industry and the yoga industry as well is this need to be perfectly healthy and I put healthy in air quotes Um, and it's maybe less healthy than it is having the appearance of health Uh. it's almost like this is the new this is the new currency that we have to have um that we exchange in return for respect you know and unless we have this encyclopedic knowledge of a nutritionist and the body of an olympic athlete and we're making lots and lots of money or dollars off of our juice plus or our essential oil or our thermomix side business uh, especially if we're mums because we should still be earning some kind of passive income right we can't just ask the kids and Um, unless we're doing all this we're not when and it's 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 part of healthism and i to be perfectly honest i think it's health is that is i think it is part of um, the sexy spiritual successful woman ideal but i think it's also our modern day version of you know the beauty myth that naomi naomi wolf talks about how she talks about um women in the 50s needing to have the per- needing to be the perfect homemaker and buy all this stuff to make their homes beautiful and that you know by the 80s 90s it was um the the beauty myth as she describes it where women were you know we there was this need in air quotes to be perfectly thin and beautiful and that's i guess maybe where we saw the beginnings of diet culture but now things have morphed and we are under pressure to be perfectly healthy Um, Mm. as well as individually empowered and successful and spiritual and glamorous. Now there's this extra obligation of health on top and um, it's, it's exhausting. (laughs) It just just feels like it is
0: exhausting and it also feels like it's so tightly
1: woven into perfectionism, uh, Um, you know, hmm yes so so tightly woven into perfectionism absolutely <clears throat> and we already know that women who are prone or have those perfectionist tendencies are more likely to experience disordered eating or eating disorders so it's just the perfect storm yeah it's mm-hmm. anyway um yeah so I guess that's that's me trying to you know look at us as dietitians and yoga teachers and see how this this um ideal is really affecting the way that we market ourselves Mm -hmm. and ourselves and make and how it makes more difficult that work of going into the dark cave with with our torch it just makes it that much harder i think
0: yeah, that's so true, and 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 how actually in in positioning ourselves in this way, it not only um, doesn't it doesn't help our profession collectively, it also mm-hmm. contributes to further marginalisation and oppression of the very people who we mm-hmm. are claiming to be helping or wanting yeah. to help, right?
1: Mm-hmm yes yes exactly oh it it not only hurts those people who we are claiming to help but what who we are claiming to want to help it's hurting us it's it's hurting all healthcare practitioners um and you know i guess we we see so going back to the people that we're trying to help we see the aftermath right we see the casualties of this phenomenon um in in our clients who are health obsessed really orthorexic people who do juice cleanse after juice cleanse um people who are doing way too much exercise and then of course people with serious eating disorders and it I think it all ties in and this pressure to be perfectly healthy and perfect is just amplifying all of that it's, yeah. it's making it's, it's it's creating a keen king tide of those these poor people
0: yeah that's so true and, and it's even i've noticed during my years my professional years i've even noticed you know, the the very strong kind of scent of perfectionism um, within dietetics, like how to be the perfect dietitian. And then, interestingly, one thing I found really interesting, especially in more recent years, has been how to be the perfect non-diet dietitian. And it's like, oh, my God, God, this is getting messy.
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh, messy, so Mm -hmm. messy. Yeah, I mean, just starting with how to be the perfect dietitian. Well, you know, I guess that's easy to spot in that um, you the formula is you build your impenetrable brand about how perfect your food is and um, you probably do yoga because that's the thing to do. So how advanced yoga practice is and how much you work out and let's not forget the inspirational quotes because we're all very deeply spiritual and insightful. Um, but we don't prescribe diets, Casey. and we're not the
0: food police yes
1: yes Yes. and we're so vulnerable um (laughs) there's that there's that there's fake vulnerability as well right on top of this big confusing messy pile and you're right it does get really really messy where you know you scroll scroll through an insta feed of this person where you know, describing and it's workouts and quotes and Insta styled meals and um, pictures of me doing glamorous yoga on a mountain and love your body. Yeah. (laughs) Love your body. And then um, marketing privilege, still marketing privilege. Yes. And leverage that, Um, which is disempowering. It's disempowering. And the non diet approach and the health at every size movement. are. meant to be empowering Uh, you know empowerment means creating the social conditions um where people including marginalized people can finally have agency and um where marginalized groups finally have a bit more room to wiggle but when we start to confuse the picture by throwing all that other stuff in that elevates us you know and creates us and puts us positions us as authority figures that's that's the opposite (laughs) that's very disempowering and um yeah it's a it's an interesting situation isn't it
0: it is it is and um you know at the same time we we um you know we really want to encourage people to find their own voice Mm -hmm. and to and to you know um experiment with um experiment with how you, how you want to, um, be in your career, I guess, or, and the kind of voice that you want to have. Um, and that there is no one right way to be a good enough dietitian. In fact, we're all, unless we're all kind of willing to sit back and, and learn. And you and I met probably, oh, many years ago now, I would say seven, eight years ago. Um, and we've seen, in our kind of, even the time that we've known each other, we've seen huge shifts amongst um, not only our profession, but also, you know, further afield as well in other, um, in other kind of, in the, in the, in the broader non-diet space, I suppose. And, um, and I guess from both of us, we just really wanted to reassure everybody that, That learning is an invaluable and and kind of compulsory, um, and discomfort is fairly compulsory. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it can get really, it can get really murky, but that you're never alone. That's it. You're never alone,
1: and it's okay. It's okay. I think to um go down some of these paths and experiment and see whether it feels wrong or right for us, and we can always reverse. But being transparent that about the fact that we are learning as well, that we're not perfect and that um, we aren't the end result that our, you know, clients are meant to Mm. aspire to. Just being really transparent about that and vulnerable and and not vulnerable in the sense where we go, um, you know, I used to be fat and poor and sad and now I'm healthy and love my body and, you can do that too if you just follow me and buy my stuff, or you know. Oh yeah. Not in that sense, but really showing that we're a human, <laughs> not not coming up with just the the before and after story, the rags to riches story. Actually showing that we are still in process because we fucking are. <laughs> Who isn't? Oh, no, Who is um, well, I know. My God. Dalai Lama. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he you know, still he's is getting close. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he still is. <laughs> he still is, so we sure are as well. And I just would love to see more people being real, being mm-hmm. authentic about and and being truthful about the mess. Mm-hmm. Um the mess of it all. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that actually makes us more relatable, I reckon. Um, and people are really yearning for that. So, I don't know. Like, personally, so I think that devi- yeah, deviating from this bloody perfect woman ideal, whatever you want to call it, is actually not only, well, for me, in my personal experience, not only feels better, <clears throat> um, is easier because i'm not trying to be someone i'm not but it also makes people better able to relate to you and connect with you as a human rather than an ideal yes and that's exactly right yeah as, as dietitians we are we are in a position to really affect positive change not by elevating ourselves but by being on the same level by being next to our our um people by being next to them not you know, leveraging all kinds of privilege to to um, play on their insecurities.
0: Yeah, beautifully said, my gosh, to be with the people who we are in service to. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes. I love how you've beautifully summarised that. <laughs> <laughs> Not
0: always my strong point, case, but anyway. <laughs>
1: Not either.
0: <laughs> now, one thing, if you don't mind us changing tack for a sec, one yeah. thing that you um, know a lot about that, or you know a significant about, uh, you know, significantly more than, than I do, is um, how intuitive eating Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine how they kind of cross over or get to get a little bit intertwined sometimes in a good way sometimes not so good mm-hmm. um, and I would love to hear your thoughts on on how we can understand more about the kind of um you know more kind of traditions and the wisdom traditions and how this has become Come, kind of warped with diet culture. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking because I don't really know what we're talking about. So over oh, to you. No.
1: great, great introduction, Fee. No, that's good. Um, yeah. So, are you a Chinese medicine? Where uh, Where do I start with that? So, I'm. I don't want to put myself into a box, but I am a bit of a hippie. I'm. I am a dietitian, but I'm also over halfway through an degree and I won't go into that, but basically I really resonate with um, Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine in that they are nature-based. So they, they are, oh, how do you say it? I guess the sages who observed nature thousands and thousands of years ago and slowly synthesized those wisdom systems um, got their inspiration from nature and by being attuned to their bodies and um, what foods felt good um, in their bodies at different times of the year and at different life stages and at different places on earth. Um, And those systems were a result of people being really attuned you know both um to themselves and to their environment so when it comes to ayurveda and chinese medicine that's that's um they're wonderful systems for honoring you know changes in body and time and space and all that kind of thing but i find that a lot of people who come to me you know dropping um like my dosha is this in ayurveda i'm a vata which is one of the three um constitutional energy types in ayurveda i'm a vata and that means here's the list of foods that i must eat that's a total oh. bastardization and misuse okay. of those wisdom systems and that's where it become just another cog in diet culture so what i what i try to encourage in people is to do exactly what those old wise men and women who synthesize those systems originally did which is get their bodies get into their get into your body um, and foremost, before you start to stuff around with with Ayurveda, with Chinese medicine, if you can get into your body first and start to sharpen um, or or at least create a backdrop of intuitive eating and start to really um, create those solid foundations of attuned, embodied self-awareness, they've got to do that first. And if we don't do that, then those beautiful philosophies it can just so easily become more diet dogma and become harmful.
0: Yeah. So so just to clarify what I'm understanding you saying is that, um, is that when we're kind of looking at some of the foundational principles of TCM or Ayurveda, um, that when we're still viewing it from the outside, as in I use these particular foods to do something To my body, or we kind of are labelling or categorising our body in a certain way, um, which I I, I've heard of those categories. Vata is one. Pitta as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. yes
0: ah okay yeah so i don't know much more than that i know the words that's about it um (laughs) thanks i'm on my way um (laughs) that what you're saying is so when we're still looking at things from an external perspective to do to the body it kind of comes in conflict with um these traditions which invite us to look from within the body first which is that's what is aligned with intuitive eating is that have i kind of got that correct? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. You've got it. You've got it. It's, it's when we come to those, um, you know, Ayurveda or TCM, if we come to that with the same mindset that as we have to modern mainstream diets and we, we really position, um, position those tenets over, we' above our own body's intelligence we are outsourcing our dietary autonomy we we are neglecting our own innate wisdom and that's a dangerous place to be um, when we reduce those systems to just a list of do and don't eat foods we're we're really shutting down our personal exploration right of of just <sighs> feeling and being into our bodies and from that place seeing if some of these principles whether it's seasonal Mm. eating or when it's snowing you want to eat something hot you know which is just basic human physiology um if we're if we're not tuned in we can really shut down our exploration of those things and and ayurveda and tcm can kind of become this this new um Oh, how am I? How am I trying to say it? We can be really lulled into this false sense of security that comes with just eating according to the do and don't list, just identifying with one of the doshes. Um, yeah, and that, that is that's so interesting. I mean. That is so
0: interesting. Yeah, I can see some um, some similarity there with um, yoga mm-hmm. philosophy as well. Like when we identify, when we over-identify with a certain way of, of being or moving, Mm. then we, and we're not kind of uh, using our internal wisdom, but more um, relying on external do's, don'ts, good, bads. And my body should quote unquote be in this position rather than Mm. moving my body in a way that, um, you know that that vaguely resembles that particular pose
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <is fun>. yeah.
0: <laughs> I always say to my students I say you know we don't we don't this is not my quote by the way but I say it you know in all different ways I say we don't change your body to fit the pose we we adapt the pose mm. to, to suit you your body and I always say to them you know your body depending on so many factors can be really different from last week's class, even and we don't need to judge that, you know, being curious about it is gives us some power and um, enables us just to understand, you know, what our body is really capable of. And, and sometimes we're capable um, or sometimes our capacity, I should say, is, um, you know, it, it's not as much as it was um, previously and that that can change. And, you know, we, um, when we're in tune with, with that. So, yeah, it's, so, um, how much of your work at the moment do you, do you, okay, I'm going to back up for a sec. So as a yoga teacher and somebody who's really interested and will be qualified very shortly, actually in Aveda and TCM, um, how much of that side of things do you integrate into more of your what we would regard as your more traditional dietetic work because it's so intertwined isn't it really
1: yeah to be honest not a lot (laughs) um my where I really love to be is untangling um confusion you know as, as I was just saying trying to help people um Untangle themselves from the dietary dogma that can happen uh or, or let me start again. I spend more of my time teaching or encouraging people to on the intuitive eating bandwagon. If they come into me, and I do see a lot of yogis and people into um complementary and alternative medicine, as you would expect, coming to me. Um, and they often have this encyclopedic knowledge of all these different dietary philosophies, usually including some Ayurveda or TCM, and it's usually a really big mess. Yes. <laughs> so uh, what I tend to do is bring them back to intuitive eating, bring them back to non-diet um, principles and from there helping not, not, sifting through it all for them, but giving them or reminding them of the tools that they can use to then filter all the other stuff in its right place or put it in a place where it's going to help them. So, for example, rather than um, following the list of do and don't foods because um, this element in Chinese medicine, rather than doing that, going okay i'm pretty I'm, I'm feeling pretty attuned to my hunger and fullness I'm, I'm feeling you know i'm getting the hang of knowing what i feel like eating at any one time um it's autumn and i feel like having um a warming stew isn't that interesting that's what ayurveda or traditional chinese medicine also says or it's um spring or it's summer and it's really hot and i just want to have an ice cream or a crisp juicy apple or salad or whatever isn't that interesting um tcm principles say the same thing or it's the middle of winter and i fucking want an ice cream and isn't it interesting it doesn't line up with anything in ayurveda or chinese medicine lucky i've got intuitive eating so yeah. i can just do what my body
0: thank god <laughs> so, for that
1: yeah yeah it's more of it's more a point of interest rather than this is a philosophy that I really try to ground people in. Mm. Um, But I find this is my personal experience. I find that um, they're not. What I feel like um, at different times of the year, different seasons, or when I had my cycle and breastfeeding, as I don't at the moment. But when I had my cycle, when I what I would feel like eating at different stages of that, pretty much matched up with a lot of that stuff from Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. Once I did have a solid foundation of attuned and embodied self-awareness, um, and that was just interesting. Whereas mm. years ago, when I was in the throes of orthorexia and obsessive clean eating and over exercise, I would be shivering my way through a, um, a green juice in the middle of winter and wondering why I felt so shit house. <laughs> yeah. Um
0: You weren't so doing it well and- you
1: weren't doing it good enough <laughs> clearly. I wasn't doing it hard enough. <laughs> <No>. Bloody, hell. <laughs> Bloody hell. So in that way I think um ayurveda and chinese medicine have the potential to bring a little bit of ancient wisdom back mm. um you know in, in for example in ayurveda no one would ever dream of doing a juice cleanse that's just that's just not a thing in either of those traditions um and i must say just in case some ayurvedic practitioners are listening yes they do certain um they actually do have some pretty hardcore cleansing things in ayurveda involving enemas and swallowing bits of string and pulling it back out and all kinds of (laughs) really
0: you know weird
1: stuff Yeah. yeah but we've got to remember the context, um, and whether the context of those ancient philosophies and where they come from, um, Ayurveda, for example, comes out of India where you, for the most part, you don't have running toilets. So your parasite load is generally higher. So people do more extreme stuff like enemas or whatever to, to deal with that. Whereas here in the West, we really don't need to do that <laughs> mm. thank goodness, and how lucky we are but we we 've just got to be um, really careful, i suppose to to remember the socio cultural context of um, India or China if we 're talking about Chinese medicine um, and remember that. You know, our genetics are different to someone who was living in India 3,000 years ago, chances are. Um, and that means that some of those Ayurvedic tenets are, are pretty much irrelevant. Um, and we really have to practice discernment when we approach them. And that discernment comes with the practice of intuitive eating. So, again, if we come back to intuitive intuitive eating first and foremost, I think we're pretty sweet. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's actually
1: that is such great
0: advice. You know, um, you know, when we're when we're um, getting too distracted by um, looking at things from the outside and looking at doing things to our body, if we can come back to that sense of um, understanding what our body needs and wants and desires at any one point in time, then whatever kind of um, uh, kind of if we choose a methodology or if we choose a philosophical way of eating, Mm -hmm. then it's going to work out best for us. um, Knowing that, you know, nothing's ever perfect, but it can work out really well for us if we're coming from that um, very intuitive place. So I think that advice is really sound and I'm definitely keeping that um, front of mind because I've got a few clients that are, that are occurring to me. I'm like, Ooh, I need to loop back on that for sure.
1: Ah, oh, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. they can be beautiful systems. They can be nice doorways into intuitive eating. Um, if we can just get far enough away from that, from diet culture. <laughs> yeah.
0: Get away from that. Oh, yeah. no, I know. So many of these beautiful wisdom traditions and Eastern philosophies have just become, mm-hmm. um, yeah, all caught up with perfectionism as well, perfectionism oh.
1: and not a good combo <laughs> no not at all
0: oh my goodness Casey I've just learnt so much today I'm so grateful for you and all the beautiful work that you do um and your wonderful kind and feisty sense of humor and energy We're would- we're so grateful to have you, and um, and please keep writing because it's um, it's just such a wonderful way that we can stay connected. Um, you don't we don't live anywhere near each other, sadly. Uh, you, li- <laughs> you live in the warmth, and I live in the cold. And uh,
1: <laughs> oh, thank you, Fee. Thank you, Fee, so so much. That is encouraging. Um, yeah, I write because I. I'm either really happy or really angry. <laughs> great. So it is good to hear that some of that is landing and, and helping people. Yeah. So great. Right. I really appreciate hearing that. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, 100%. Um, so tell people a little bit about where they can find you because you are lurking out there. I see you pop up yeah. and I'm like, oh, there she is. So tell people a little bit about your website and where they can find you on social channels.
1: Sure. So my business is Funky Forest Health and Wellbeing um, and it's my Facebook singer as well. I'm pretty bad with Facebook. I'll just say straight away, I'm pretty shit at checking Facebook. Um, But what I'm pretty good at is Instagram. I am a very, very visual person. So I'm quite active on Instagram um, and I'm under Instagram as Forest Yogini. Nice. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> oh,
0: excellent! Yeah, so follow Casey, um, particularly on Instagram, if you're looking for that more image, that that, that quick fix of um, <laughs> quick fix of funky forest. And um, I just really look forward to keeping in touch, Casey. You know, from a completely selfish point of view, I am really happy to see you back on the scene. Um, Yay we missed you in, in, um in the depths of, of babyland, but but um, we're so happy to have you back a little bit and share you with your gorgeous children. So
1: yeah, I look forward to
0: seeing you through the year and thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, Fee, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much for having me. This has been, this has been the trip.
0: I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone!